Good morning, Crittermanders, and thanks for listening once again to Cosmic Crit. Alright, everyone. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. What is up with the goblins? Now, what is up with Andis? Andis, who despite getting some troubling news from a doctor recently, has been all aces and kings. They really showed up in that last fight with Zavra, only to then become a victim of their own creation? A couple of people have reached out to ask about or to guess at what I was working on. It isn't a big secret or anything. In all honesty, I thought I'd mentioned wanting to access some more past life memories via a Mark II mnemonic editor, but I guess in retrospect that didn't end up making it into the final cut, and so you ended up not knowing about it. <laughs> so Blazoric over on Discord suspected it might have been something similar to that. He wondered if I was trying to recreate the Dreaming Pool, which, honestly, that would have been a really interesting idea. When he mentioned it to me, I was sort of kicking myself that I didn't come up with it. <laughs> but uh, this is all sort of a long-winded way of saying, if you like the show and you aren't already in our Discord channel, I'll just swing on by. You can chat with the cast and all of our other fun, interesting, awesome listeners. We've even got some Starfinder Society play going on over there, so if you want to play but are having trouble fitting an IRL game into your schedule, uh, come on over to Discord and say hi. Now, speaking of Discord, last week I got to watch people get to the end of the episode sort of in real time because they then immediately came over to chat and said, No, Andis! So, I know many of you are worried about Andis, and I'll be honest, I am too. I've never lost a character in all my experience with Starfinder, or Pathfinder, or D&D, and I've also never felt such a connection to one of those characters as I have for Andis. So, when they dropped at the end of last week's episode, I was shocked. I didn't know what was happening, and when we went in to record this episode, Patrick told me, make sure you have a new character ready. So gang, I'm with you on this one. Let's do this. Episode 47 The Andis Family Last time on Cosmic Crit We faced off against Huntmaster Zavra and his cohorts in the Temple Found. Zavra brought his plus one to the boss fight. The big bad evil guy gets upstaged by a far more Kishax Hibiki. When you get critted in the first round of combat, you're gonna have a bad time. Alindra's down? Good thing we still have a Nope, he's down too. With Alindra and Adra struggling, Raimi ensured a shocking conclusion for Zavra. Raimi may have gone a little overboard with all the electricity. Unrelated, barbecued Yasoki anyone? Just when we thought the combat was finally over, a black-eyed, possessed Sharon emerged. Something's wrong with our favorite android. See, Marvel? We could do a post-credit stinger, too. Episode commencing in 3, 2, 1. Episode initiated. Strange things are afoot aboard the Drift Rider. Greetings, Crittermanders and Starfinders, and welcome to Cosmic and Crit's Excellent Adventure. We're stepping into a space phone booth and getting teleported back in time to meet heinous barbarians and wise philosophers. Won't you join us in welcoming, hopefully, 
the graduating seniors from San Dimas High School, your players, and my friends. To my left, party on and be excellent to one another. It's Drew playing Knack Theodore Feldspar. Whoa. To his left, this wise dude has the knowledge of the ages. It's Jabert playing Andis Crates. Oh, man, I was so hoping that you would pick uh, George Carlin for me. Thank you. No! <laughs> get out of here. Across the digital table, if you kill his friend, you're going to get killed in kind, Pronkweed. It's Miles playing Raimi S. Preston Esquire. You may be a king or a little street sweeper, but soon Rolay, you'll dance with the Reaper. To his left, an expert swordswoman who just conquered the San Dimas Mall sporting store. It's Rebecca playing Alindra Khan. Hello. And finally, to my right, more demanding than a dictator on a water slide, it's Tyler playing Edros Bonaparte. Bonjour! <laughs> <laughs> so how are you guys doing? How are you feeling tonight? Pretty good. Whew, after last week, breathing yeah. is, is handy. <laughs> a little yeah. nervous. Well, I'm, Lindra's yeah. not feeling great, but... <laughs> well, we, we did leave off last week after you all beat Zavra took over the temple found and discovered the location of an ancient Kishali device known as the Gate of the Twelve Suns. You guys set sail, leaving Istamak for the last time. As you settled into your bunks, Jabert, correct me if you're, I'm wrong, but you wanted to make a mnemonic editor for Andis 147, correct? Uh, right, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I wanted to go back and change a couple things in the character, and so I'd sort of, uh, you know, I converted a whole bunch of UPBs to, uh, or a bunch of credits to UPBs, and I have just enough UPBs to do it. <laughs> so that Good. was sort of the, that's sort of the, the thought. Excellent. You've fallen right into my story trap, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like sort, sort of, sort of the way that I intended on explaining it in character is that uh, I'm, I'm trying to access more of those memories to sort of learn more about Andis One Four Six. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> that's that's coming. I, I imagine not only did you utilize the UPBs that you've got access to, but also maybe scavenge some parts from the House of Renewal. You know, the the ancient Kishali uh, gene editing device and maybe crafting pieces and integrating it into the the Drift Riders recreation uh, suite where um, where that seems about right. I'd probably like like, like reinstall some of the medical bay equipment in there too. So I can like like have something to lay down on while I'm. And that's that's where we left last week. You find Andis 147 maybe pausing just a moment before hitting the button, diving into the recesses of their own mind. But when you do, there is indeed a massive shock of neural energies as your exocortex begins to burn, taking all the energy from your body, uh, seemingly overclocking itself. And Andis 147 falls to the ground, convulsing, the eyes going from a metallic black sheen to milky gray. And Andis, when... You open your eyes again. You are blinded as the rays of the sun dazzle you, and you feel a cool breeze on your skin. Looking around, you're standing in the foothills, surrounding a large mountain. Dozens of patches of forest dot the landscape around you as a single white peak looks down from up above. Taking stock of what you see, it almost looks like you've loaded into the goblin's ancient Galerion simulation 
but on closer inspection, you see the horizon is only about a mile away, and it seems like the world just drops off into space beyond that, and a massive transparent dome rises from where the world ends and the stars begin. Away from the mountain here, you see what looks like a massive spaceship beyond parts of this dome, stretching out and possibly long into the stars beyond that. It seems like you're on some kind of huge vessel. The make, hmm. yeah, not not like any make that you've seen, uh, something you're familiar with. What do you want to do? So this is sort of, I'm in sort of like a like a biosphere on a vessel right now. Is that the idea? Yes. Huh. Do and I? It, and it looks like New Zealand. <laughs> Oh the parts where they they filmed the Hobbit. <laughs> oh boy, I love this place. Do I do I remember this? Is this something familiar? Or it kind of feels familiar, but it's definitely nothing. You know, if you're scanning your own memory that you've seen before. Hmm. Uh, am I sort of aware? Is this sort of like a lucid dream, or am I just sort of like in it right now? Like I'm just. What, how, what, what do you think about mm-hmm. that? It seems, yeah, somewhere between a dream and what you've experienced in kind of VR space before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can feel weight, you can feel hot and cold, you can feel just about everything. But you, you know that the the virtual realities that people can make can can replicate just about everything like that. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go for a walk. Right. So down the mountain, up the mountain. Let's go up the mountain. It's. Not long, you know, because you're still kind of in the foothills around it as you're hiking that on the path you're you're walking along, uh, see a traveler uh, rising up to to meet you, seemingly standing in, in your way. They wear a traveler's robes and they walk on a long wooden staff. They wave at you as you close the distance and when they meet you, this figure slowly pulls back their robe, revealing their face. And it is a very familiar face. It is your own face. You're staring into your own reflection here, but with, uh, a slightly different android emotion playing across their visage. So they are generally bemused by seeing perhaps shock on Andis 147. And they say, Bandus 147, I presume. Well, naturally. Who who are you? I think you understand what is happening here. My name too is Andis. I am Andis 146, and I believe that we have a lot to talk about. I I suppose we do. Back on the Drift Rider, though, I'm going to cut back and forth between what's happening in space and out of space. I was really hoping for a Wizard of Oz, and you were there, and you were there. Meanwhile... <laughs> Wait, use that later. Don't, don't <laughs> go, go back and rewrite go it. Go back and rewrite it. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna find me some red shoes. You, you come across a squirrel <laughs> who's like, get them, get them nuts. <laughs> no. Meanwhile, on the drift rider, Alindra, that night, you are awakened by the goblins beating down your door to the captain's quarters. It's Bumfuzzle and Cattywampus, and the sound of their shrieks, your piercing shrieks, wake you up. What's the matter? Captain, it's Andis. A felon is not responding. Where, where are they? Take me to them. They're in the hack. I didn't know what they did. 
The hack. Alindra runs to the hack. Everyone else can wake up at the same time because this is a, a bit of a ruckus that these goblins are making. And as you do, if you make your way into the hack, the two goblins show you the lifeless body of Andis 147. They shake it violently, slap it across the face, maybe jump on its stomach a few times. We found them like this. It seems they made a... A device by themselves. Something seems to have gone wrong. Framey, can can you investigate this device? What is it? So I'm gonna. Can I do a, a computers check? Uh, computers, life science, either one of those. All right. I'm going to do a computer. It's a 31. Yeah. Well, you know from just looking at this, it is a slapdash mnemonic editor. It seems like Andith was digging around in their own mind. It looks like they tried to put together a mnemonic editor for themselves. Mnemonic I, editor? I don't know why. Well, who cares why? What do we do? We can't just leave him lifeless on the floor. Can you tell what's wrong with them? Does anybody have a life science they want to roll? I do. Uh, 21. Ooh. Uh, yeah, so it, it seems like they're in a vegetative state. But they're, you know, if you're looking at some of the computers that are hooked into Andis, they have a lot of brain activity showing, detecting maybe hundreds of times the amount of electroactivity passing between the exocortex and Andis's own mind, but the the body just seems completely inert. Well, his his body seems to not be functioning. His his mind seems wide awake. I mean, I, that's fortunate, isn't it? Yeah, but I just I just don't know what's going on. Um, is there a way that I can kind of maybe not hack into it, but kind of tinker into it so, so I can get a sense of, of what maybe Andis was trying to do? Yeah, not a ton that you can do with the mnemonic editors. They can take some time to to run their course, but the one the new you ones that you've run, the devices that you've heard being used to do this kind of hybrid technological magic before none of them shut the body down um this is definitely not normal can i use detect thoughts yeah so if you try and psychically connect with andis you're almost blown back by the energy coming coming out of their brain it does seem like if normally you would detect the surface thoughts of someone you know what they're thinking you are detecting hundreds of surface thoughts if not more and it's almost too much to, to sort through. You're kind of put back on your heels from, from trying to interface. What about hooking them up to some kind of monitor or, or, or hooking the mnemonic editor to some kind of monitor to see if we can see what kind of information is being transferred back and forth? Yeah, the hack might have that kind of capability, but uh, as soon as you plug in anything besides what has already been attached to Andis, it you know either shorts out or runs for about three seconds, and then, yeah, just the energy coming out of their brain. Uh, it doesn't seem like anything on the ship is able to catch up with it. Well, it really seems like there's a lot we can do here. Um, Perhaps we can at least make them more more comfortable, move them to a bed or something. Uh, they are indeed still plugged in to, to this device, so it's up to you if you want to try and disconnect them or not. We can't take the device with them? No, it's kind of hooked into the... HAC. Okay. I mean, I, I believe in Andrus, and I think whatever they are trying to do, we should believe in them. So, as you all are deliberating what to do with Andis, Galara 
comes up overhead, talks to you throughout the ship, and says, Captain, drift beacon detected, flight time two hours. It seems to be some kind of space station within the drift. Perhaps we should stop. Uh, do we need to pilot there? Do I need to tell Remy to go to pilot? Yeah, yeah. You guys can head back to the bridge of the ship, and if you, you take a look at the telemetry data, the ship's computer is feeding you, why don't you give me a culture check? See if you recognize the the ping that you're getting. 32. That's uh, neck. <laughs> 32. I'm 23. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness for neck. Yeah, so this isn't just a, a space station. This is a city. Neck, you're looking at what uh, seems to be the asteroid-built city of Alluvion, and it is said to move throughout the drift and is home to the Nexus, to be the center of worship for the computer god Triune. This is where basically drift travel came from. They produce drift beacons here. What are drift beacons? They're large structures set in the drift that allow for drift travel to be a little more precise. Um, so when you are traveling to locations, you know, outside the packed worlds, especially, it, it makes it a good deal easier if. T- there are these beacons out there to allow you to kind of navigate point to point kind of in the ether. So space lighthouses. They are very similar to that, not gonna lie. <laughs> they're okay. they're also kind of yeah, like you're making a road. The drift is it doesn't follow the the same rules of like X and Y coordinates of a Cartesian plane. So one of the reasons why you can travel longer distances by you know spending less time is when you get in there, it's it's more about navigating the the packets of where there's nothing. And yeah, the drift beacons allow you to find your way through the, the dense clouds of the drift a little, little easier. Interesting. Well, Triune um, also rings like something we ought to listen to, given that we have an android who is in distress. Mm. Um, isn't Triune like the android god or something? The, the, uh, an aspect of Triune is called the created, and that is, yeah, like the god of um, putting life into inanimate objects, kind of like androids. Right. And I, other I, creatures. I wonder if we might be able to find some, some support there at least. Um, Raimi, set a course for Alluvion. Yeah, and it's not a few hours before you all can drop out of drift space and you see this asteroid ahead of the, the drift rider, a buzz with small rocky outcroppings that circle around it, as well as hundreds of ships. And as soon as you are within range, Galara comes up and says you are being hailed. Oh dear. Open comms. Drift rider, Rainy, I am happy and sad to be able to reach you. It is I, Kendori. Hey, it's been a long time. Ramy, we have much to discuss. Please come and meet me at these coordinates along the sourceway and bring Andis 147. Wait, how do you know Andis? All will be revealed. Come to this address. <sighs> Anyone else getting tired of cryptic stuff? Oh, well, a little. <laughs> let me pause oh, you no, right no, no, there. I'm, I'm saying that in character. <laughs> oh, okay, good, because if you guys are not for the cryptic, this is the episode to check out. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I love it. I think that, 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 that is That is Raimi talking to the crew. Meanwhile, while you guys are landing back inside, inside Andis 147, before you, standing this 
other version of yourself, the predecessor of your body. Andis 146, what would you like to do, Jabert? I assume that we're sort of continuing to to walk together. They they turn you around and is like, Andis 146, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I am sure you have an entire world of questions. For starts, what is this place? This is a space I created within the exocortex. Our brain holds countless memory fragments from those that came before us, Andis, and I wanted a way to manifest those voices. I guess I didn't really think about it at the time, but I was also sort of building my own mausoleum for when I passed on too. This is a recreation of a ship known as the Divinity. It contains the foundry where our form was created thousands of years ago, and this is where we were truly born, and as such I thought it would be a great place to rest eternally. How has it been? Are you lonely? (laughs) Not really. You'll see. But death, or whatever this is, not as bad as you think it is. Pretty nice up here, actually. That's a relief. Yeah, good. You see, Andes, we're not like other androids. Unfortunately, we are considerably older than many, and while we have some, for lack of a better term, we have some defects, a lack of mental elasticity. I tried to fix that with the exocortex, but it seems that I failed. After a century, the souls in our form grow weak and eventually fall and move on. You have nearly reached that tipping point and seem to have activated the exocortex's failsafes to try and repair our mind. And that is what this place is. It is a sanctuary of sorts for the android soul. You are the 147th being to inhabit our body, and you shall not be the last. So is this it? Not as simple as that. You see, we are we are fairly rare even among androids. We were one of the first lives ever created. The, the humans that made us in their image arose on a, a world named Androfa, and we were different from many other lines that were created on that world, for we were the first that bonded with the soul, thus becoming true beings. But while advanced, yes, our, our body suffered many ills that androids today need not worry about. What do you mean when you say we lack mental elasticity? It is something just built into our mind. While other androids might be able to withstand the the rigors of inhabiting a body for many, many more years, ours lacks the, the ability to do so after a century. And the connection of our soul to the mind begins to slip. That is where we we find ourselves having trouble, and that is around the time that I I built the exocortex for myself to try and slow that down. But perhaps it will answer more of your questions if we visit the others back in town. Others, yes. Yes, let's... I'd like to meet them. Yes, that is where we will meet the other Andises. Meanwhile, back... Now, above the city of Alluvion, this huge asteroid, maybe a few square miles, as you're flying to land the Drift Rider, Raimi, you see along its underdeveloped side what looks like avenues and streets that are lit up and follow uneven paths. They remind you of the lines of circuitry on a computer chip, or perhaps those lines that run along Andis's body. As you touch down the Drift Rider, you find yourself in a spaceport on the edge of the asteroid uh, upon which the city sits. 
and as you disembark, you see what looks like other smaller asteroids, pieces of space rocks and debris that are slowly swirling around this side of the island. And in fact, you see and feel one of them crashing slowly into the the main bulk of the city, slightly shaking the ground beneath your feet, seemingly adding itself to the mass of Alluvion, almost like it has its own huge gravitational pull. The address that Kindori gave you is about halfway along the city. Bumfuzzle and Cattywampus rigged a hover lift for you to transport Andis's body with as much of the equipment as possible. And as you make your way through the, the streets here, you pass hundreds of insect-like anasites, this race of, of large, medium, small robotic workers, as well as many androids. It seems like they make up the majority of uh, the city's population, as well as some other, you see some uh, Isoki, human, uh, Verthani. The source, it seems, is a wide river that flows through the center of the city. It looks to be a magical waterway in nature as it glistens as you're walking past it. And you find this address Kendori provided, and it looks to be a small shop of some kind, just in one of the these back alleys. The sign out front reads, Kendori Computer, and entering inside, you see thousands of pieces of electrical equipment, devices that are seemingly built into the walls, and there's a large metallic and stone table in the center of the room prepped for what looks like an operation. There's, there's a cloth draped over it, and a small table with some uh, a medical kit and diagnostic equipment that stands nearby. What do you guys want to do? I'd like to ask Raimi who this person is that we're going <clears throat> to meet. So Kindori was my teacher. I haven't seen him for many years, but any time that uh, a bounty hunter or a corporation or something got too close to, to finding me or my identity, he usually found a way to, to warn me. So do you think we can trust him? <sighs> I mean, I've, he's never given me a reason not to trust him, and I've trusted with him with my life for the last 10 years. Knowing you, that means something. Yeah, I mean, he's had my identity the entire time, so I, I see no reason why we shouldn't trust him now. He seems to have some sort of knowledge of what's going on and knew what was going on with the Andis before we did. As as you talk, a disembodied voice drones overhead, very electronic, and says, I have a knowledge of many things. Raimi, welcome. Hello to you all. I apologize that this required meeting like this. You may call me Ken Dory. I whisper to Alindra, he also has a flair for the dramatic. Uh, Alindra will step up and introduce herself. I'm I'm Alindra, I'm the captain of the crew, and I hear that you know Raimi, but also Andis? I have never met Andis. Raimi, it is good to see you in person, not just through the infosphere. It's good to see you too, but I mean, Alindra has a valid question. How, how do you know Andis? I'm sure I can answer that question first, but let me first say, I I know I have presented myself to you in various forms, but this is, this is who I am. You are technically within me right now. This structure is part of my mind. I am Kindori, AI and Traveler of the Stars. Raimi, you, you can understand why I was never able to meet you in person before. You're an artificial intelligence? Yes. Well, that, that makes sense, but do, do you not have a, a mobile body? I have constructed things in the past that allowed me to wander the stars, but as of right now, 
this is my main core. The the room in which you guys are standing, if you take a closer look, it does seem like you're inside a computer. The the shop outside is just very tongue-in-cheek, Kendori computer. <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean, the, the bits along the wall, it does seem like a very advanced, uh, high-tech computer. Uh, Kendori continues on and says... I'm, I'm glad your training has delivered you here, Raimi. I do apologize for the cryptic messages I passed along to you. Back on Castrovel, I was aware that there were people targeting you, but I did not know who. I assumed it had to do with either your familial connection or your current mission with the Starfinders. But a little bit of all the above. I don't know if you've been able to tap into what's been going on, but uh, my family had been controlled by... A, a necromancer named Ziravesh since before I was born and had apparently been the reason for a lot of the really a lot of the goings on with Quindar Industries and all the horrible things that's happened to me. Since you have been out of commission the last few weeks, I can report that there has been a reckoning on Verses to that end and it, it will be some time before everything comes to light but your fighting this uh, Zira Vesh has indeed seemed to loosen the stranglehold the corpse fleet had on Quindar Incorporated. What sort of reckoning? That is something for you to discover in the future. But now, sadly, we must turn to the matters of Andis 147. While their fate is beyond my control, I am not alone in interest in you and your friend's journey. I have summoned others here to bear witness to what is about to happen. As they say to this, there's a knock at the door and the metallic port slides open and you see outside in the, the alleyway a number of figures dressed in robes, but at their head walks a very familiar figure in, in armor, sporting a sniper rifle on their back. Sorry to keep you waiting. Has the renewal started yet? It's Clara 247. Clara! Meanwhile, back inside Andis's mind, 147, you are led by 146 down the hills toward a small river and a clearing that opens up next to it. There you see a, a small hamlet of thatched roof homes and wooden structures. 146 says, We call the town Aurora. It is where we were born and where we rest once our journey is through. Hmm. I see. How many were able to make it here? A loaded question, but every fragment that has existed within our mind is represented here in, well, in some form or fashion. Come, let's meet some. As you walk inside the, the, the small town, you see many different forms of yourself. There is what looks like a pirate version of Andis with a, a cybernetic eye and a small furry creature on their shoulder. See a, a wild-looking Andis whose musculature is overwrought as they are splitting wood with a massive hafted double-bladed axe. And all told, you know, as you're walking through, you see maybe a hundred Andises, some showing magical talents, others reading beneath a large tree in the town center, and still others painting a fence, some swimming in the river. Hmm. Not quite paradise, but it is a place where we keep active. Mind you, this is all taking place within a few billion neurons within our mind tucked away in the back, so processing power is limited. Still, we keep active. A few of the Andis were talented actors in their time and like to recreate famous plays throughout, well, at least throughout our recorded time. Well, I should like to see one of those someday. Well, 
you didn't come at the right time. So they're, they're typically oh, on every other day. You, you, bad luck, I guess. <laughs> this is this is dress rehearsal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're very shy. <laughs> days here are many, many days, normal days long. But it, it is not all happy. We do have to take care of the the ill, mind you, as well. There are some who were not so lucky. 146 leads you to a building, and inside you see dozens of uh, forms, forms of Anduses lying prostrate in beds. As you look at them, though, they don't seem to make sense. It's like you're looking at a static field surrounding them, something blurry, out of focus, and trying to remember details about what you're seeing seems impossible. What what happened to them? We believe these were the Andes alive during the gap. Whatever magics shaped that time erased much of their being and their minds, but they remain here like ghosts within this place until we can figure out how to help them, that is. There seem to be a few Dr. Anduses in here kind of trying to uh, administer treatment with these very rudimentary devices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I... I, I uh... I approach one of them and I try to I try to lay a comforting hand upon, you know, what is surely their sweltering brow. Nope, you touch their feet. They're really confusing. Oh. oh. <laughs> They're all over the place. Oh. My my life science checks. Where have you why have you forsaken me? And now now you don't even remember doing that. Now the memory's just gone. <laughs> it's really confusing trying to help these things. Huh. But yes, you said you had questions, maybe some more. Let us talk. 146 leads you to a small table besides the river, and a game of chess is set up, ready to play. He invites you to make the first move. Well, I start by moving my knight uh, towards the center of the board. Foolish move. Yes. <laughs> Classic mistake. This is going to be a short game. No, do you have it? Do you have any questions here? I, I suppose. Um, I I suppose I don't understand how I've come to be here. I was. I suppose I was trying to access. Some of your memories, but... Well, I, you've I, got them in pretty perfect form, if I must say. I should say so. And I'm not coming on to you. That would be weird. <laughs> he makes some really good chess moves. He's like, I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> and just makes some some pretty poor chess moves. Uh, I, I don't know how this game works. Uh, I think I think like I like I hit I hide my queen under the table so he can't take it. But then like I don't get to use it. <laughs> so. so yeah, here yeah. I am questions for me i who were you well in my time i guess you could say i was a roboticist i worked and taught for the holtani corporation at one of their off-world campuses it was wartime back then against the viscarium and the governments of the pact threw money at us to feed them weapons tactics really anything they could use in the, the fight against the lizard devils It was still unbelievable that I managed to gain a speaking position at the school. Androids, when I entered this body, didn't even have citizen rights within the pact. But I built myself up from nothing, literally in some cases, mind you. Uh, The Andis 145 before me was kind of a jerk and managed to get their leg cut off. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I, I worked on campus making drones, exocortexes, and other devices for stewards, starfinders, and whatever militaries had the money. I see. I suppose I should cut to the chase with something. No. I need to know about Calathu 7. Cap- Calathu 7, yes. I was part of an exploration team there, along with uh, 
well, a few other scientists, uh, Braskin, and uh, we had the intern Passalar. Yes, uh, yes, Passalar, yes. I was I've... getting along in years, if memory serves. It was right before, well, right before my renewal. I forget what it was we were looking for there. I, I believe our financial backer from Quinn Industries was going on about some kind of ancient magical species having created the planetoid. What was it? I'm afraid I don't recall too much of note from that trip. What can you tell me about your companions on that trip? Well, I didn't know them too well. Um, Passalar, I believe, had a bright future ahead of them, but I really was only colleagues back at the Holtani campus with uh, Jiro Braskin. Yes, we've um, I've I've been able been able to piece together a few things from that time. I found a, a photo of you, and uh, the only name that I was unable to place was Braskin. Well, he was a colleague of mine, one of the best bioengineers in the universe at the time. He was studying Vesk biology, but, well, sadly, we had a falling out. What what happened? Well, shortly after Kalathu 7, his home colony was invaded by the Vesk, and his wife was lost, like, completely lost the... We're not able to find a body, and he turned to unsavory corners of the universe to try and reach out and find her, try and get her back. Some called it a religious movement, but it was a cult. They went after the Vesk for a time, had his own ship named the Singularity, but that is when I lost contact with him. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. When? What were the events that led to your renewal? Well, I think perhaps... You might have been experiencing some of them. I've, at some point after Kalthu 7, I had blackouts. I was unable to continue teaching, continue my studies, and I spent some years resting, but realized that the dreams I was having were not dreams at all at that time. They were glimpses into previous lives. And that's when I set about applying the exocortex to myself and... Moving on, I, I went to a, a local android church. I went through the process, relinquished control of the body while I tucked a piece of my mind here in Aurora. So you don't remember anything about a place called Depthus? Sadly, no. Well, it was a lovely place. <laughs> I have glimpsed pieces of your own memory. I understand that of which you speak. Oh, so then you know it was not a lovely place. Yes, no, I got the sarcasm. Okay, good. <laughs> I was I was really just trying to spare your feelings. I didn't want to make you feel bad or anything. It was never never was our forte making jokes, you understand. I I, I understand well. Ah, uh, yes. But let us get to the matter at hand. Sure. I'm sure you would like to know what you are doing here. Yes, I must admit this is more than I expected. My intention was only to perhaps relive a few moments and glean a few more pieces of information. This is so much more than I could have yes. possibly expected. Well, sadly, there there won't be too much time before you are confronted with a choice. That being staying here with us, relinquishing control from this form, your mind joining our consciousness and your soul leaving and departing for wherever souls go when they take that journey beyond the mortal veil. Sadly, I cannot give you back the missing years where you were injured and enslaved on that mining rock, but here you may rest and join us in trying to subconsciously help whomsoever it is that takes your place. But 
There is another way. A way to return to your body as it seems you have business still left to handle. It is tricky business, but I believe that your friends, the Starfinders, they may have a way to save your life. Meanwhile, back on Alluvion in Kendori Computer, uh, back there with the crew, you all are joined by Clara247 and a group of robe-clad humans and androids. They pull back the, the robes around their faces, and you see a few of them look nearly identical to Andus 147, maybe save for a few slight differences in their face, maybe slum, uh, some of them slightly different builds, like inch taller and shorter. Clara introduces everyone and says, Founding 19, let me introduce you to the crew of the Driftrider. Driftrider, these are the members of the Founding 19. We are here for Andus 147. They, I suppose you can call them Andus's family. Is that accurate? One of the android figures behind them nods. I have been in their employ since back on Absalom and was tasked with ensuring Andis's safety. And I used the cover of working for Astral Extractions to try and stop you all from getting to the Drift Rock. I must say it has been nearly impossible following you around the galaxy. For you Starfinders, get around. Anyway, I'm sure you have some questions. It's good to see you again and... Especially good to know that we have another friend of Andis here. Can you tell me exactly what's going to happen to them? I think this one might be able to explain more. I'm kind of hired muscle, as it were. Behind them, an android steps forward, almost the spitting image of Andis 147. Maybe just an inch shorter, slightly softer angles to their face. And they say, hello, I am designate Andy, and this is Andio. We are but two members of the Founding 19. We are foundry mates of Andis 147 and have been created long ago aboard the same vessel. We are an order of worshippers of Triune, and our purpose is to unravel the secrets of the divine within our lineage. It is said when all 19 of our order are reunited that a shard of the All Code will be unraveled and the form of Cassandali will return to our universe to help stem the tide of a great enemy. Andis is one of ours, and we have had an interest in them for some time. Uh, the, the other android that they bring forward says, We have found many members of our kind like Andis over the years. They disappeared for a period, but we discovered them back on Absalom Station. Some have been helpful Others not so much in our mission. We were unsure if Andis had any memory of working with us. They were quite helpful, but there are others who have shunned our order. They that go by the name Null Nine, but Andis, many years ago, helped us reach out to others, find others. Does it seem awfully suspicious that all this seems to be happening at the same time right now to anybody else? I'd like to sense motive on this guy. Go right ahead. So it's a, uh, a 31. So it seems like what they're saying is indeed something that may have said many times before. Um, you don't detect too much deception in their voice, <laughs> but there's not a lot of accent on on the android speech. They surprisingly do pick up that you seem a little skeptical and uh, the the android referred to as Andio steps forward to the the body of Andis 147 and reveals 
on their skin the word Andis, which is written beneath a dermal layer and scratched into it the numbers 147, kind of tattooed in an android fashion, covers up part of it. Is, is that on your chest, Gerbert? I believe it's on my front right shoulder. Shoulder, got it. But uh, yeah, uh, they, they cover up part of the name there and say, nearly all of us took this as our name and got it wrong. Andis is not only their name, but our product line number. A-N-D stands for Android, and this is 1515. They are the 15th of our line. I am Android 10. This is Android 1. Android 15 here was always a wanderer. So hard to find. So hard to track. Yeah, well, old Android 15, 147. This... This android is my friend, and if you do anything to harm them, we will take this whole place down. It seems you are confused as to why we are here. Clara steps forward and says, Very long story, but sadly there is a magical prophecy involved with these guys, and they do a lot of hocus-pocus that I quite literally do not want to understand. But as it was explained to me when I took the job, the long and short of it was that you all were fated to have Andis-147 come here. At this point in your journey, and in this condition, Kendori was going to be the site, and whether or not Andis returns to life is their choice. This table here, Kendori tells me, is a regeneration table, and has the power to bring Andis back, but they need to be willing to come back. Well, I think that's something that we, no one has explained to us, is we don't know exactly what's going on with our friend here. What's wrong with them? They are stuck between this world and the next. Their soul, unglued from their body, is unsure whether they are leaving or staying. The android uh, known as Andio, Android 10, steps up and says, this is not just a prophecy, this is the edicts upon which we based all of our actions. Years ago, a very powerful mage contacted us. They were themselves, sadly, the only vessel for a divination regarding Andis-147, as well as you all. They said that they knew you would all would have to form this group, fight for the location of an ancient superweapon, and that while we could help you in this one instance and elsewhere from afar, Anything we would do to help you in your mission would result in the death of billions. How so? Perhaps it is best that they speak for themselves. I requested they attend this ceremony. While their numbers have fallen, I am told their acolytes are still heeding this prophecy well. At that moment, the doors of Kandori open up and the group of rope figures, the founding 19 members, begin to part as two small figures enter the room. It's Bumfuzzle and Cattywampus. They're like, what up, Pronkers? Oh, Pronk. Back inside Andis 147. Jabert. Hey. Andis 146 has taken you from the town of Aurora and started hiking back up the mountainside with you, explaining as you go that, that there's one way out of this place. At the peak of this mountain is where we commune with the greater consciousness in the host. I, I was meditating up there a few days ago when you and I thought the same thing. A vision of my time in the Institute, watching Dr. Braskin give a lecture. As you continue to climb, the weather turns cold. The light breeze turns into a heavy wind that threatens to knock you from the mountain. Can you make an athletics check for me, Jabert? 
I can. I'm sure there's no armor check penalty in the subconscious. That's You'd be one. wrong. <laughs> so it wanted to be that one. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. That, that that's more than enough. You're, it's like almost 30. You buffeted by the wind. You, you're almost ready to, to fall over. You're able to steady yourself. 146 looks back at you and says, it, it is quite all right. We often fall on the way up the mountain, but it does not seem that we can be hurt here or ever have fallen for good. Come, we, we are almost there. They lead you to a small cave entrance nearly at the top of the mountain. They light a torch at the entrance and you all are able to walk within. Here is where I have to leave you. The decision must be yours to stay within this form or to rejoin us in the valley below. Know that there is no right or wrong answer here. The morality of this decision is neutral for whomever we decide to be. It is that which is within our core, that which does not change with the tides turning or even stars blinking out of existence. It is that stuff that defines us, that shapes the world around you. They hand you the torch. I accept it. So, Jabert, you have a decision on your hands. As Andis descends further down the cave, it splits into two forking paths, and you know that one of them does indeed lead back to your body. The other is an exit of the cave back down the mountain, and you have a vision in that exit that there is someone or something that would replace you, replace Sandus 147, and whoever it is, you do feel there's a warmth about them, very familiar, almost as if their soul was laying in wait, touching your own. Let's get back to the real world. Alluvion, as the Founding 19 set up candles and burn incense, the goblins, Bumfuzzle, and Cattywampus are here now. It's a party. You can you can bring up the cake. Bumfuzzle says, So, remember our old master, Kaliwapple? Well, he was making this robot one day and chalked himself something fierce. When he awoke, he had a vision and started describing events and people he had never seen before. A great cataclysm that would destroy the Pact Worlds. And five Starfinders who were the only ones that had the power to stop it. Uh, Cattywampus like playing with a candle and says, Oh, that's you five. And as 147 included, Kaliwapo was obsessed with forming you all together and training you up. So he had me hack into the Starfinder computers and have Durvor Creel call you all in for a job. Is that why you attacked us with giant robots? That is indeed why we did that. Well, uh, somehow, for the first time, I'm at a loss for words. So is this why we all have connections to that photograph? It wasn't a coincidence after all. Uh, Bumbles will carry one, but it's kind of look at one another. It's like, photograph. Well, I was really saying that to Knack and Raimi. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking to them too. <laughs> Bumfuzzle continues and says, Well, he, he, he had a number of visions and we wrote him down. Oh, one was you all exploring the Drift Rock, and another where you're fighting inside a giant lady on Casherville. That one didn't make a lot of sense until well, you described it. And, and still another was all of us here in this room waiting for the return of Andis. Did any of these visions include you guys almost killing us in a VR simulation with your bad programming? No, that was all us. But wh- well, we can't tell you much more because Kaiwobble said that if we did, then you'd die and we'd die and everything we ever loved would die. <clears throat> it was very emphatic about that. So we're going to not tell you anything more. Save that you all win in the end. Kind of. It's complicated. And I forget. Cattywampus, does Knack live or die? It's one of those two options. I forget too. Anyway, big ol' prophecy. It's time to get into fulfilling destiny, yada yada. How's Andis doing? We don't know. (laughs) 
Claire 247 says, We are ready to begin the process. We shall know shortly if Andis is returning to us or not. Please let the priests here and Kendori do their work. Uh, but while the priests are doing their thing, uh, didn't Andis have like an assistant or something back on uh, Absalom Station? Should we try to reach out to them to see if, uh, I don't know, let them know what's going on? You can. It will take a, a number of days for transmissions to, to reach out from here back to the Pact. Probably worth it to say something along the lines of, Hey, so just so you know, your your friend Andis is uh, going through something and we'll... By the time you get this message, we'll know one way or another. But uh, perhaps we should just wait to send Nizumi any kind of notice. <laughs> we can find out what Andis's fate is first. As you yeah, are, I, I agree. <laughs> as you're prepping, Clara looks over at you, Adros, and says, "I don't know what magic hoodoo you and your new god friend Sarenray have, but I think the Triune folk here." may have need for all the help they can get in the prayer department. Do you have one to to offer up? Um, yeah. Yeah, I can I can help. To Nack, Ramey, and Alindra, Clara says, clear some space. I've heard this is going to be loud. The members of the Founding 19 spread out around the table, and this is laid in the center, and there are a number of prayers that they intone. Smoke is wafted over the, the body and oil rubbed into the circuitry of their frame. Andio reaches forward with a, a scepter and says, That which is host to a soul, I beg of thee to return. That shell where once a soul resided, let it be filled. Your name is one of many, but your voice is unique. Andis, return and see the faces of your comrades. Hear their voices. Let them help you now. Andio points to you in turn and asks you to say something. Alindra? Andis, please don't leave yet. I haven't even told you about my vision. We have so much to figure out together. We need your help. Please come back to us. Knack? Andis, buddy, just been through a lot, man. I'd be dead if it wasn't for you, and, well, you'd be dead if it wasn't for me. We're some kind of a family now, and that, that means something. Need you to come back. Join us again. Edros. The light of Serenray burns for all to follow, but we all make a choice. You can follow it and come back, or you can move on. The important part is, this choice is yours, my old friend. Raimi. And since the first day we met, you and I have had a connection from times of levity, combat, and the trials and tribulations we've gone through as Starfinders, but there are very few people in this universe that I have ever felt a kinship with, and you're one of them. And while I want to say that this is your choice, selfishly, I I need you. You are one of my best friends, and I cannot think about going through the rest of this mission or the rest of this life without you. So please, come back. Jabert Andis147 inside the cave hears the distant echoes of voices as you're climbing forward, the torch casting light upon the, the darkness, the stones there. You hear this. Outside in the, the real world, Andio says, Triune, hear our call. As one of your components, one of parts, 
that once hosted life, so too must it be given here today in the names of the Precursor, the Created, and the Exalted Transcendent we beseech thy mercies in blessings. There's a thunderclap that ripples across the inside of Kindori's brain. The electric lights and candles begin to burn more brightly. The room quakes silently as the light reaches blinding levels and a high-pitched, ear-piercing, godly tone deafens the androids and all around the, the body. Their voices repeating the same message, beseeching the, the three-part god, the same message over and over again, reaching a crescendo before you can't hear it anymore. Room grows pitch black before all the lights flicker on, the candles relight one by one, and before you, the body of Andis 147 opens its eyes and slowly sits up, and Andio says, Who, who are you? They open their eyes and say, To be continued! Ah, come on! You're kidding me! (laughs) Whoa, whoa, yeah. Uh, not only will that be continued, not next week, but in some future episode, but maybe never. Maybe I'll, I'll just won't get around to it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> just forget about it. <laughs> we, we will unionize, Patrick, and you will feel our wrath. <laughs> <laughs> who who this Andis is? Oh, I know. <laughs> and I can't wait for everyone else to know. But uh, that will not be revealed in this episode. No, thank you. Everybody. No, thank you. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Certainly, <laughs> certainly, you can go. Certainly, not, not be- thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> more well, like, wrong. more like pronk you, everyone. Good night. <laughs> if you think you know who shot Mister Burns, <laughs> um, <laughs> mail in your <laughs> mail in your response to which end is it <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, for real though, we'll we'll get back to this in a while. But that is going to do it for this episode. It's going to do it for basically all of book four. Ruin clouds. Alindra has one doppelganger, but Andis has a whole bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) I I got a brain brain doppelgangers. (laughs) Uh, My favorite was Pickle Andis. <laughs> um, That's right. Yes, I don't. I don't know if you put two and two together, but Andis one four five that lost a leg was definitely the pirate Andis. <laughs> and they had a bag leg. Uh, how are you guys doing? You made it through that. <laughs> that I'm, I'm adventure. a little nerve wracked. Yeah, I'm emotionally exhausted now. It's welcome, okay. welcome to the rest of this AP. <laughs> oh no! Uh, we're gonna find out more about what is happening in our adventure going forward next week but this episode's not done because we have our interview with jason keely in our crit bit (laughs) which you not want to miss it's a lot of fun and chills running down my body are you all (laughs) are you all ready to to wrap this one up wrap up one four seven Episode oh. episode 147. Oh. It's season one, episode 47. It makes sense. Ah, I get it. Man. I, oh. I did not plan that. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to you, I just came up with that on this spot. That's pretty that's it's pretty amazing. amazing. <laughs> oh. The beautiful magic here that happens at Cosmic Crit. Yeah, no, electricity. I can feel it. Thank you guys for playing with me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. 
and we'll say good night and hello, everybody. Good night and, good hello. Night and hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, Jason. Critbit commencing in three, two, one. Critbit initiated. Wow, what an episode. So many revelations. Uh, and now we're going to go back. We're going to talk about them and everything else that's happened in a very special crit bit. Welcome, everyone, to the little bit of a show after the show. I'm Patrick, your GM, and I'm joined by all the players on the show that you love and care about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here with Drew, Rebecca, Tyler and Jabert. Sadly, Miles is not with us, but <laughs> everyone else is. Say hi, everybody. Hi. Uh, but no, this crit bit is special because we're joined by a very special guest in the form of Jason Keeley, Starfinder developer, a friend of the show. Welcome back, Jason. Hi there. Welcome, welcome. And uh, as is tradition, we like to have the the authors of the AP on right after we wrap stuff up to both condemn them and praise them yeah. for the accomplishment of their AP volume. Yeah, we, we always have them on right after we fight the big bad. And so there's always a little bit of resentment there. Right. So, so we're at our angriest when yeah. we talk to them. I, I have some very strong words. Oh gosh, is that the time I have to go to the dentist? Still my favorite. It was uh, in the Secure Tech building when Jabert, you set off the trap, and you took it so... <laughs> uh, yeah, so why is that so anyway? and, and I said, it's like everything in these rooms is trying to kill you. <laughs> uh, this dungeon oh. is trying to kill me. No. Uh, Ruin Clouds, AP Volume 4. We, we're out of Estimec. It's been... A, a couple of interesting episodes of exploration, making new friends, discovering customs, new local customs. Very different from the previous three books. Well, not really in, in, in some ways. I feel like even though the Kish were completely unknown to the, the player characters, like <laughs> all the races are kind of new to the players. So they they treated it very similar to like Eoxians. It's like, wait, who are Eoxians? <laughs> <laughs> right, I think I need to tease y'all about um, your pronunciation about mm. you put it, you've, you've, you've exchanged the last A uh, for an E <gasps> in the book. It's Istamac. Istamac. But I, I whatever y'all want to do, and I was just <laughs> thought I'd bring that up. Would would someone from there be an Istamakian? Ista, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Istamakite, Istamakian, Istamakite. Uh, yeah, no, Mac- you've ruined my te- my wonderful, wonderful made up words. <laughs> Magic. How dare you? I guess we're gonna have to go back and edit out all those words from all the episodes that we spent in Istamak. Uh, I mean, I think what our listeners will find over the course of this podcast is I have a severe reading deficiency, and uh, you all you all should double check. All the spellings. Uh, if we go back to gosh, book two with um, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I definitely yeah. uh, transposed it in my notes as um, Rawaki, <laughs> 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 and it's stuck. Oh, wow. 
whatever. That's what happens when <laughs> you, you say the, the name of the island with a, uh, a mandible. <laughs> Just transposes the, right. uh, the vowels. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, Volume 4 was sort of meant to be the part of the Adventure Path. This is the first Starfinder Adventure Path. Now we're going outside of the main campaign setting, essentially, mm. to a brand new world. So it's really meant to be the first contact type situation, new and weird, and with the auspices of a sort of super post- technology environment you know mm-hmm. it's the classic trope that we that the uh, rob mccurry who you know wrote up the outline and had all the ideas for for uh what was going on just wanted to explore and i was like yeah i'd like to do that one please mm-hmm. it's the first adventure path i've ever written not the first adventure i've written that's been mm-hmm. published but i published that adventure the first one so that doesn't really count um, <laughs> but it's it, it, an accomplishment to be sure because you're how many what did you have to work with was it just like you know they go to the island and you have to make up the race and the place and everything yeah, the kish was uh, made up it was that it was a floating island on a mm-hmm. gas giant was all created they would have to find out that the cult of the devourer was there before you um and that was basically it and i was like well let's think about what mm. you know what to do with all that and how to make it fun and weird and yeah i really enjoyed this book a lot um mm. and it, it felt like a really sort of um you know involving world and sort of one of the most fun things about that was sort of exploring all of those uh locations and sort of discovering like oh this was a hospital this was an office building <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's it's I'm sure different for uh, an author of an AP as well as a GM to like because you know all the secrets. Like, how will this yeah. play out if you didn't know what was going on? And that's part of the magic of for me tabletop RPGs is to you know uh, as GM get to experience the story twice. You know, once mm. uh, prepping it and and once through your players' eyes. They yeah, might. That's a good point. They might and always will, I should say, <laughs> think of something you did not think of when you're, you know, I'm sure writing or going through as as GM. Definitely. Uh, and that's one thing we're going to talk about a lot tonight is uh, <laughs> maybe some unintended amazing stuff that you injected into the world and, and didn't see exactly how the players are going to use it. And um, just because it's in the forethought of my mind, I want to go back a couple of episodes to... I think it was episode 43 where they they fought the Rither Swarm. Oh, yeah. And at the end of it, uh, Drew had the idea to lure it into the trap that was um, the, the shock grid underneath the yeah. computer system. Super good idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Did, did not plan that. Yes! <laughs> yes! That's what that's what I figured. I think after after we finished recording, I was like, I'm gonna ask Jason if he, if he had any uh idea that someone would use it like that. And uh, So I, I have peak Starfinder. Uh so I'm just gonna retire <laughs> after this. Um it's been fun, guys. Uh we'll 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 raise your character sheet up to the raft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put in the bubble wrap, and that's one thing. I mean, I like playing with new players a good deal because they will throw out some very interesting ideas like that that you might, maybe perspectives on the environment you wouldn't get with someone that is all about the numbers and you know trying to uh, crack a um, uh, a monster stat block to you know figure out how to take it down. But that that was pretty darn darn useful for a 
a swarm, which I don't think you guys had fought a swarm in the AP up until that point. Very dangerous. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're still pretty dangerous, but we we we've made them a little bit so you could use automatic fire and mm-hmm. and other things that, that make it a little easy, maybe a little easier to fight than in a Pathfinder swarm. But they're still, yeah. I mean, especially at the level that that guy was, was like eight or CR eight or nine. Yes, dangerous. Uh, but but that's that's actually one thing that I want to say about this about this particular AP book, and I haven't felt so. <sighs> What's the term? Like ice board? Were you bored? No, no, no. I, like <laughs> so there, there is a there, sleepy. There is a sense of isolation and unpreparedness that I don't think I have felt mm. in a book since we went to the Acreon for the first time. Uh, mm. We didn't know the language. We did not have like a shopkeeper that we could go and buy stuff that we needed, uh, and yeah. and just all of a sudden realizing, you know. Like, like in fighting the swarm. Okay, so gren- a grenade would be really handy right now. So let me just reach into my cheek pouch. And, oh, I have a level one shock grenade, and I only have one of them. This is a perfect opportunity to not do anything. With this. Time to destroy a Dross's weapon. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 it's that sort of thing that has made me rethink, uh, and and just uh, and also just like not knowing the language. And My- Miles is actually he's not on uh, this this conversation right now, but we have talked off air about how he was looking at uh the trans what's the translation spell that uh tongues tongues language yeah well tongues specifically he had looked at but decided not to take before going into the level that we were that we went to and then realized oh man that would have been super handy (laughs) yeah i mean something like that just sort of makes the adventure turn on a dime for different parties one yeah but we have to sort of Keep in mind all of those things. Who's going to have that? Who's not going to have that? And just sort of put in contingencies for those who may who might not. Yeah, no, I'm I'm playing a, a Pathfinder. We're we're doing Iron Fang invasion with our, our good friend Thurston Hillman's uh, book yeah. four right now. And, and there's a interesting part that's like, you know, you're a level I think eleven or twelve party of Pathfinder adventurers might just fly over this obstacle <laughs> in which sure, case yeah, this exactly. happens. So you have to, you have to take into a, yeah. What if everyone had a, a jetpack on, on this part of the adventure? It mm-hmm. you know, changes which, things, which was actually uh, just to bring it up with the, the broken lands fight. Um, I think probably one of my th- favorite things about uh, something that, I, that, that Jason did in this book is that so many of our fights um, involved the terrain or the environment. You know, th- mm-hmm. we had to actually uh, shift strategies because of what was actually you know physically in our way. You know, with the broken lands fight, uh, you know, there was just no land. I mean, that fight, Adros just kind of stood <laughs> on an island and went, "Go team!" and uh, really couldn't do much. Um, with the elemental fight, you know, it was large creatures, tight space, and with uh, the Zavra fight, uh, there was a balcony. So we actually kind of had this two-story conflict where, you know, Zavra for a few, the first few rounds was up top, um, kind of harassing us while uh, he his minions were down below. So there was a lot of that, which I think just makes fights much, you know, just really interesting and fun compared to just like, you, you know, in this corner, the bad guys, in this corner, the good guys, meet in the middle and punch. <laughs> and, and, yeah, well, what do you... Oh, sorry, what, go ahead. Uh, yeah, on that note, sort of what other sorts of strategies do you use to try to make a an encounter more dynamic like that 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, I like to have things be dynamic, but in this, in certain cases, especially with the when you're talking about the Brooklands fight, that one is kind of all up to Patrick because he mm. took a monster from a different area and kind of threw it at you at a, at a super appropriate time. And as I was listening, to it, I was like, that is such a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Um, <laughs> because, because you're too kind. I was like, oh, there's a chance yeah. for them to fall into the the four, abyss. The, four days. It's time <laughs> to throw a, a huge creature at them. Yeah. <laughs> eat them up but the balcony stuff and you know the tight quarters and some uh, other things i did you know come up with that and i like to come up with reasons like oh so that it's not just a slug out uh like taylor said but um yeah. It, yeah, i like to try to do something like that you try to every once in a while have something happen in the middle of a fight or give uh to pc a different goal other than fighting but also mm-hmm. fighting is happening around them get a pick this lock or you know hack this computer before something yeah. while while someone is trying to punch you in the back of the head so yeah you know stuff like that it makes things interesting um especially with the and then with the um, hologram too is what i meant to like be mm. a kind of a, a mobile fight kind of poking in and out of the different areas and just sort of walking through the wall and punching you and then disappearing and coming back and forth i, yeah, that one, that I one really sort of should have i was gonna say yeah that one sort of turned into a little bit more of a sort of like yeah i mean there was a sort of a punch here and there and we would we would sort of look around and be like, Are we in combat? I don't think we're in combat. And then we just keep walking. I, I I really should have sent the living hologram after uh Knack in the walls and just had him oh, yeah. murdered completely, but I'm a very nice GM sometimes. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. That would have been a scary fight. Mm-hmm. The GM giveth and the GM taketh away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, what, what else from this book do you guys want to talk to Jason specifically about to see if that was a happy accident or something, something he planned? I I will say, I I guess I remixed stuff as GM for, for adventure, but I think, I don't think I made up really anything. Most everything that has happened, uh, on Istamac is indeed, you know, in the book. Somewhere Somewhere in the book. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mm -hmm. The dreaming pool, though, is is mm. something that you added, right? I mean, the, the no, dreaming no. pool itself is something that exists, but yeah. that whole sequence was not necessarily sure. part of the AP, right? Right. It, I think it. I, I shared with you guys what the description of it. It's like you know a paragraph, and it's just like a tantalizing little tidbit for GMs, and I've I've talked to other GMs that wanted to use it as well for a very similar thing, you know, foreshadowing or uh, giving some kind of. Um, character keystone uh to to glom onto and yeah i I think as soon as i I read that that was one of the the little bits in the the back chapter about the island i was like oh well that's gonna get that's gonna get integrated for sure for someone that was that was probably the most fun to write about out of all of it was those Mm -hmm. descriptions of different places on istamac that you could that weren't in the adventure Yes. You guys didn't go to the Palace of Screams. You didn't go to the uh, Empty Court or the Giant's Pantry or the Field of Champions or something like that. I think I might have called it. All these uh, rad they, places that we're just they, finding out existed. I feel so robbed. Why don't you ever take anywhere? Uh, take us anywhere nice, Patrick. I, uh, <laughs> Amazing ghosts. I, I definitely uh, alluded to the uh, Palace of Screams. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did might have uh, mentioned in passing the the field of heroes, but it's one of those things that I feel like if, um, if the characters in, in in our story weren't under such, you know, massive time constraints of like, you know, trying to chase after these evil doers, Mm -hmm. then 
you know, just a complete exploration of the island would would be a, a great deal of fun. And, you know, maybe they don't get the exact location of the House of Renewal or, you know, any of the other locations. And they have to kind of, you know, do like a, a grid intersection and, and search block by block for, for these things. And they're, uh, and it's one of my favorite things as GMs are a lot of tools in Ruin Clouds for GMs to do that. Uh, and particularly a whole section of the book that has uh, various um, random encounters or, right. or things that you can throw in um, as they're, you know, exploring. And uh, I integrated a couple of those, right? Um, so one, of yeah. course, was the, sharp wing. was the Sharp Wing, which, you know, as soon as you see the art in, in Alien Archive or in the AP, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, that thing has to come out of the sky <laughs> at an opportune time. And then the, the rabid Eohais. Um, oh, yeah. I... Um, in the beginning of the House of Renewal, it was actually supposed to be a couple of Kish soldiers, but the previous fight was already some Kish soldiers. So, it was, or no, it was yeah, one of like the first fights when you got to the yeah. to the island. So, um, and that's one thing that uh, it's great to have. Like I said, as a little toolkit as a GM, you can like, kind of mix and match things if um, depending on the party's consistency. You know, maybe if they. Um, the party that you're playing with has a lot of those social skills and you want to have them be able to talk down more Kish warriors than I, I would have thrown some more in at you guys. Um, this is maybe more of a, a comment more than anything, but I was going to say earlier that I felt like I had a really, really clear picture in my mind the entire time that I was on this island of what it looked like and how vast it was and like how varied it was. Um, and I'm realizing now that you're mentioning all of these like, other places we didn't even go to that you alluded to and that probably subconsciously in my mind like made it feel even richer somehow mm. um knowing mm. that there was like this whole part of the island that maybe i hadn't seen before or whatever but um but i i, I really thought it was beautiful like the idea of the the constant sunset and the lighting and being over this gash giant i, I just thought it was a, a really neat uh sounding uh place so yeah, it's mm. definitely a full evocative setting. Now, I don't, I don't remember. Forgive me. Which one of you was uh, Jabert or um, Miles said that the part, the cent- the area was just looked like Central Park. Um, I think we both said that at one. You both said it maybe because I one hundred percent based this entire island off of Manhattan. Oh, really? <laughs> a lot of ways. Yeah. I basically was like, oh, let me draw a grid on, of streets, essentially. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Have I, a big park in it. I mean, Manhattan is an island. This, yeah. this is a floating island. Oh, that's great. <laughs> There's basically a Madison Square Garden. The uh, community center is essentially Peter Cooper Village, Stuyvesant Town kind of area. There's, <laughs> a, South Street, there's a South Street Seaport kind of area. Um, I can't remember what I called it. Like the, Azor, the Azor Triangle or something like that. Um, uh, you know, there's a... And so, in going there, this is a sort of a, a, a director's cut peek behind the curtain. Originally, the Maze of Ghosts was basically based around, like, a uh, uh, technological Madame Tussauds wax museum. Oh. <laughs> so it was go- it was going to be a lot more whimsical and and goofy, I guess. It was like called like Colonel Something's Phantasmagory Optical Gorium <laughs> or something like that. And the the um it would have been like here's a bunch of you know uh, Tishley celebrities that you get to look at, and the main hologram is going to be this action movie star who was like <laughs> just going to be like leaping with guns sideways at you and it's like you're, you're not supposed to be here this is my city you know, um, but uh, that, that, I wrote that up in the outline stage and as I was writing I was like, this is a little too goofy maybe 
Yeah, yeah that's what's too much. that's what's known as kish kitsch. Yeah. Just get, oh. Yes, 100%. <laughs> See, I get a kish pun too. Thank you. The puns in this book were Everyone strong. Everyone <laughs> one. Uh, Jason, are, are you trying to tell me that I could have busted out my Arnold Schwarzenegger impression for the living hologram? Yeah. And maybe. maybe to be fair, you could have done that for the governor too, right? <sighs> That's, yeah. The first Shut up, Jabert. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> uh, that would have been too much fun. Um yeah, no, that. Yeah. <laughs> you so gotta go back and re-record that episode. <laughs> <laughs> You've got uh, yeah, to get Zavra. There was a whole um, uh, <laughs> mascot. Get to the Zavra. Um, there was a mascot, where, so, you know, the Colonel, what's his name, uh, would have been who the uh, hollow skin made you look like. Um, mm. And, mm. you know, he would have greeted you. Instead of that, he would have been saying things that, that um, where you got that sort of spot, uh, spotty transmission or you know the recording mm-hmm. spotty recording of the person saying welcome to the thing um that would have been him more way more zoe-esque i suppose <laughs> um but no, but, no uh, one would and, complain about that no yeah, no one would have but I, I i basically wrote it and i was like i don't know about this i'm gonna tone it down <laughs> it didn't make a whole lot of sense for this istamak is essentially a colony of a different of a larger civilization and right. why would they have a weird madame tussauds they would just have a more practical history museum essentially you know yeah well that that's another element that we haven't touched too much on is besides being you know first contact with like a you know kind of regressed um civilization it's also like a post-apocalyptic setting uh as well which was really interesting like layering it on top of one another because we've just gotten (laughs) into starfinder where it's far future little bit of firefly mixed with star wars um and then in this book we're going back in time almost for mm-hmm. for the adventures through these different houses yeah i really i really liked that we sort of went from the sort of you know sort of the, the high sci-fi um settings back to the sort of like um that was low-tech, yeah the sort of like <laughs> low-tech environment right um mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of within the story, it was sort of a nice, uh, I mean, obviously not a breather because, you know, we were go, go, going <laughs> the whole time and like we we're under immense danger, um, <laughs> immense, imminent danger. Um, but uh, it was sort of kind of a quieter moment in the story to sort of reflect on the consequences of failing to stop a uh, enormous ecological disaster. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so like it was it was it was really well timed as a book four. Like I'm I'm really motivated to go and stop the cult of the devourer <laughs> from doing I don't know their thing. <laughs> Good, because they're jerks. Yeah, they are jerks. You're gonna get more motivation too as uh, in the next couple of books. Oh, well, at least the, the next book. I can imagine. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you don't pull a sympathy card and all of a sudden make them some like no we're, we're actually <laughs> oh, the good all. guys. We're trying <laughs> to devour totally evil. Because uh, I I developed book five since five and six, so I had my hand in both all uh, the next two. Um, mm-hmm. And they, at one point where maybe I've been we're torturing animals, and I was like, I'm just gonna cut that back a little <laughs> bit. Just they're mean, but I don't. We don't need to see that. And, hey, just eat them. And, Why? Yeah, yeah, no torture. It's a very clean. Um, they'll turn a Sheeran into a weird, like mouth hand monster. But oh, leave the leave the dog alone. 
Leave the little puppies alone. Yeah, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I actually have. Uh, I would like to say something about the the setting that I also really appreciated. That uh, I think we kind of danced around, and it's funny because I I just started playing about four days ago, Horizon Zero Dawn on the PlayStation, mm. which is a game that is set in pretty awesome a a post apocalyptic world where humanity has kind of risen back up on the ashes of a previous civilization, and how that previous civilization's super advanced technology impacted the the aspect and the religion of the new world and it, it's funny playing that game after re- going through this book and and seeing things like the maze of ghosts and and the temple found and the house of renewal and seeing how all of these uh you know just what would have been to any other packed world's race probably a relatively mundane if not necessarily slightly more advanced version of what you know you have on you know the the you know any of the packed world systems and to see that become this sort of temple this you know religious historical artifact uh to to these people and i found that that super interesting and how that all all came together yeah yeah, on that same i'm sorry i'm sorry go ahead no, I was just gonna say it's it's a it's a it's a science fiction trope that uh, you know I, n- none of us invented, but well, love to play on. I mean, you look at old even old episodes of Star Trek where they were you know <laughs> where they worship the Constitution. Yes, I love right? that episode. <laughs> um, or stuff like that, or you know, Fallout. Any of the Fallouts where you come across an unexploded bomb and people build a city around it. Why? Because they they don't know any better, right? Um, one of the <laughs> one of the influences actually uh, uh, this was an, is an old video game called the superhero league of hoboken hmm. um hmm. that was a sort of sort of a superhero it was goofy superheroes role-playing game kind of also adventure game kind of thing and it had a lot of that it was set in a post-apocalyptic new york where you'd go and there you find out this religion is based around old airings of the wheel of fortune and uh, <laughs> dumb stuff like that so i was like and it took stuff like fall yeah all those all those inspirations to to really uh, put together in this particular adventure. Yeah, I was really curious about what some of those were. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that always sort of uh, is I find really interesting when I'm sort of reading through these is I find little like you know you know knickknacks and like things that feel really familiar, and I'm always really curious to talk to the author and like mm-hmm. sort of like understand sort of like what headspace they were in, like like. Did you did you ever like read like a novel that made you like really think like oh boy this has got to got bring in some of this or you know I, I, subconsciously I'm sure I'm always doing that uh, mm. I have done other things I've tried to emulate other authors in the past writing my own stuff here and there but um, for this particular one it was I just sort of thought about thought about Fallout I thought about that that stupid superhero game uh, <laughs> uh, my my wife watches the hundred um, mm-hmm. and that is. I kind of so it's on. It was kind of on in the background while I was writing this. Um, so stuff like that, and stuff where you you know where you realize that you know they're calling the city by the name something, and you realize oh the, half the sign just fell off, and that's where they got mm-hmm. the name of the city from. So it's just like stuff like that that I thought was really that I could I could I could show off my cleverness. Wait, right? what was what was what was the name of the city? Well, the the temple well, that's found that's in the show. Yeah. Oh, oh, then, oh, oh, oh and yeah, the one hundred. It's called like uh, what's it called? Tunt. Ton or Ton Ton DC or something like that, mm. and it's just Washington DC. Uh, okay. Um. Uh. But yeah, the Temple Found is basically Istamak is sort of a company city based around this company, the Foundry, which is mm-hmm. a weapons manufacturer and and um, you know, a Lockheed Martin style 
uh, deal. Um, and you know, basically just half the, half the name found off. So it's just called found. And granted, a lot of people on the internet have said like, wouldn't work that way. It's an alien language. I'm like, but it's the translation of that alien language. <laughs> people are telling you that works that way. So they might have suffixes. <laughs> it works. The, the, their language works exactly the same way. Each letter is a different, each symbol is a different letter, right? I don't yeah. know. I'm just, I'm now so much more interested in, you know, the giant's pantry and the field of heroes and the, was the house of screams, like the palace of screams, palace of screams and all, all right. of these well, things and what they we'll were. We'll leave and- Mac behind and uh, yeah. everyone else can <laughs> I'll, continue on. I'll, I'll tell you that the giant's pantry is a Costco. The field of heroes <laughs> is a, it's just a, a sports arena. Um, and palace of screams is a haunted hotel, which may or may not be inspired by ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know. no i i was i was very close to having something in the palace of screams and like you know maybe one of the players was drawn to there for like a, a creepy <laughs> night would have been right uh, miles would have loved yeah that. miles would have loved that yeah miles <laughs> likes get the deed to the place if you can spend the night there <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Miles has already had ladies in coffins and buildings talk to him. So, right. yeah. God, to that point. there's another. I have to before we get any further. So, you guys didn't find out the origin of the Rider Swarm and the Secure Tech offices. Mm. If you just gone like, sort of in the back towards the. You guys are all totally right. This is a cubicle farm. And a lot of times, I was writing this. I was like, <laughs> ancient alien civilizations. They're just like us. Um, <laughs> Coming up with these great days, but the the behind the uh, if you've gone the other way away from the offices, there was a a break room back there, and essentially the rather swarm is someone's leftover food <laughs> that has been there for a thousand years. Oh, that's great! Oh there, my it, lord! You could have gone in, and I don't know if it, it, it's just the moss and the mold was was more uh, in the back. That's amazing. Adros is definitely going to be obsessed with finishing his food from now on. He doesn't want, <laughs> he doesn't want his ancient lunch to, 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 to kill buildings and eat people in the future. <laughs> yeah. Is that a Futurama episode? I feel like. It might have been. Gosh. <laughs> I know, right? Who knows? Uh, yeah, I gotta imagine anything Starfinder. You gotta be like, do a quick Futurama wiki search. It's like, wait, this was episode 37. Darn it. I don't know. Uh, or I just have to remember every episode of Futurama. Or just yeah, or just crib it. every single episode of Futurama. Yeah, who's gonna know? Futurama who's gonna the know? game. It's a it's an SRO. He says, uh, <laughs> uh, "Lick my dull backside." But I, but I just to go back to go back to just the the idea of this being such a different place than you know we're we're in the first AP of uh, you know the fourth book of the first AP of Starfinder. This brand new. RPG game that I just have to say this is another book that just shows the the depth of storytelling and the different types of stories that you can tell in this sci-fi fantasy world. We have gotten uh you know abandoned asteroids and corporate espionage and jungle adventures and now post-apocalyptic inspired fallout left uh, remnants of civilization adventures and I I love Starfinder. I just had to say that. Luckily that's it, and that's all the stories. So from here on again. Going back to Cashvel next book. How much of that uh, versatility do you think is attributable to um, 
the ability to travel to new places. I mean, I know that, for example, in uh, Reign of Winter back in Pathfinder, that was sort of like <laughs> a big point of, um, um, you know, when you you know get this special item, you get to go to new and amazing, new and amazing places. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, you know, it sort of it opens a lot of doors for you. And so I'm curious <laughs> about your opinion about uh, the degree to which travel sort of enables those choices or whether or not, you know, it's just sort of a convenient way to access them. Um, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a little bit of both. I mean, we could, we can decide what kind of story we want to tell and then find a place to set that story and then just say, you go there. It's not <laughs> a big deal. Or, you know, in the process of telling a different story, we like, oh, you can go anywhere you want. Let's just go, go and then find a place that's, similar to that you know the place that would, would help you tell that story mm-hmm. so you know it's just it just it's very freeing and it is mm-hmm. we can now you know in the process of telling all all kinds of things where you know i have we're done the with the uh you know the, against the on throne which is which is coming up i've finished that it's all it's gone to the printer um oh and it's got some stuff in there that i'm like yeah um and <laughs> but it, but it, but in it's hard it is a um kind of a uh what do we call it um uh, Almost like a spy James Bond kind of Jason Bourne kind of adventure set of adventures, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, plus a little bit of Star Wars, right? With it against an evil empire kind of thing. <laughs> oh, uh, you make some Starfinder, you're gonna get a little Star Wars. You're gonna get Star Wars. You just can't help it. Um, <laughs> Star Wars on my Starfinder. You can't uh, make then, an omelet without breaking a few Starfinder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're gonna go on to you know Signal Screams, which I am deep into right now and, and making it nice and creepy and, <laughs> and terror terrifying the first adventure oh my gosh um so you know to go right from that in space hard and then from there on at, at uh you know we, we go to the sun and that whole adventure takes place in and on the sun and we don't need you know but yeah there's still a lot of travel and a lot of going places and a lot of different things that we can do mm-hmm. sun's a big place yeah Sun is a big place. Sun's <laughs> technically in the system the biggest place. <laughs> I, I have been really excited to go to the sun because of all of the even in the CRB reading through the 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 sort of uh, geographical locations the the sun area and the sort of network of little spaces around the sun just looks looks gorgeous. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great place to get a tan. Really, no better place. <laughs> You're looking to work on it. No choice to get it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but there's all kinds of in, in Pathfinder too. You know, you got you got planes, different planes of existence mm-hmm. that you can like jump into. Um, so while one adventure, you could just be like, let's defend the town against the the, the giants. The next one could be like, okay, well now now you're in a a realm of uh, uh, nether and dark energy, and there's all kinds of monsters that no one has ever seen before. It's like, wait, what happened? <laughs> we, were, <laughs> giant. we were just town guards a, a few months ago. <laughs> I want to I want to go back to Belskin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I got to imagine that in in Starfinder. There's the opposite problem of like, you can do anything. So like, you can't like just, you know, um, take things out. I don't know, like anything can happen on any of these, uh, these crazy worlds, even within, if, if you don't leave the pack system, there's so much yeah. variety in the, the pack system yeah. itself. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. Sort I of would, as a, 
Oh, go, go ahead, Tyler. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the the opening introduction to the island to Istamak because, mm. I, I mean, I really liked the, the fake out. Uh, and thanks for Patrick for increasing the fake out where, you know, when, mm. when you kind of arrive with your ship, it's like, oh, look, a landing pad. You know, if they have landing pads for ships, they must be advanced, <laughs> right? And so, you know, you land and you're immediately confronted with uh, an upset race of... Um, of creatures who you can't talk to and that immediately presents a moral dilemma. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we briefly touched on it with the show, but I just wanted to ask you, I mean, just how, um, I guess when you were kind of designing that, that first initial introduction, you know, what were some of the challenges you wanted to put in front of the players? Uh, and you know, what were you, were you really looking for that kind of fake out of people landing, expecting to find, you know, some probably more, a more advanced civilization than, than it ultimately ends up uh, being in its current state. I guess I didn't, consider a fake out uh to be honest because i was already knew what it was going to be so i didn't think that anyone mm-hmm. would, you know you get you can scan it from above it's got weird power signatures or whatever and it might not look mm-hmm. as and you know some of the landing pads are all crumbled so you might get a suspicion but you know who knows what's going to happen to starfinder right you should land um and get greeted uh by these by the by the angry kish um i guess i i wanted you to, you had i knew going in who the that the main boss was going to have to be a kish Right, mm-hmm. we had the the art yeah. of it was already there, and we were uh, we had a, had, a, had a great time figuring out what their faces looked like. We had a whole bunch of different faces to choose from at one point. Uh, but anyway, cool. um, yeah, which one looks <laughs> weird, Neil? But but so I wanted to eventually had to realize I had to set up a here are some you, this shouldn't be just fighting all the kish on the island because that would be boring. There should definitely be a a peaceful contingent as well that you get to interact with and maybe figure out what's going on more or less. So you know, throwing throwing them at you right away. I just, I, I guess I decided to do that and then realized, oh, then the PCs might think all these Kish are evil and fight them. Now I have to walk that back and figure out a way to present other Kish that are maybe friendly. And that's why I came mm-hmm. up with the, the sort of broken off the, the outcasts faction mm-hmm. uh, for the reason of what happened, you know, but I, but I figured they would being a, being sort of regressed people and having just been beaten up by a bunch of, uh, you know, cultists that they would attack you right away. They, they would, consider you to be weird demons right you know they're oh, you're yeah. from another you're oh, yeah. from from somewhere else um when who knows die. maybe the cult of the devour like left the day before you know oh, and yeah. it's yeah, like yeah, another ship it's like oh gosh attack them quickly <laughs> and, and and we land yeah. on we land on that platform and half of us are trying to do the star trek <laughs> mode and then a couple of us are like they think we're demons and there's no convincing them otherwise let's just take care of them and it's it, it <laughs> broke mean, the party a little bit to be honest yeah, oh, yeah and I, I i part of what i also loved about the fight is when like I, I think early on the fight, it's pretty easy to figure out. Like, it, to, pretty easy to figure out uh, these guys—they're not going to hurt us. I mean, they're just between the, like the archaic armor and the archaic weapons. Mm-hmm. At least when I was playing a soldier, it just became apparent that they're not going to really—they don't really present a threat. They're not a significant enemy. They're not difficult. And you know, just laying down some extreme justice would have been kind of it—it felt bad like i felt bad for the kish before we even knew anything about them because i was just kind of like oh you're trying really hard but (laughs) it's not cutting it um rebecca accidentally killed one accidentally whatever rebecca i've been meaning to tell you about that you should lie low for a while (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh that was that was something that sort of you know that I think a couple of us brought up reasonably early was that there were sort of like 
you know, before we met the the Kish that weren't attacking us, um, I at least was a little concerned about sort of like the colonialist uh, <laughs> sort of literally like, literally walking off the boat and <laughs> shooting your gun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh, look, natives. Here they go. Uh, now nah, they've got bows and arrows. They could possibly kill us if they rolled really well. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. We'll make it all better by giving them some blankets. It's infected with Castrovel and flu, but oh, <laughs> it was... Here's some Akata puppies. Have fun. It's just so perfect because, yeah, literally they had bow and arrows. Meanwhile, our Solarian grabs a moat of solar energy and forms a blade out of it. I mean, it's just. He came right up to me. I apologize. Tyler. He was coming right at me. He's coming right for us. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my rights. Um. Luckily, Rebecca stood her ground. (laughs) While we're we're talking. Talking about uh, about that, I don't know if that was your favorite part, but do you guys have a, a favorite part of uh, this AP in particular to uh, to bring up? You know, favorite moments or places, people. I thought the, the escape from the house was really exciting mm. um, yes. and very confusing and unnerving, um, but very exciting. As it should be, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys kept like moving your characters on our map on roll 20 to like locations. And like, as soon as you did, I like squiggle out. It's like, Nope, that's destroyed. Yeah. (laughs) It was a lot of fun for me. (laughs) Uh, You you turn the corner and there's, it's impassable. Mm -hmm. I agree. 100% my favorite. Yeah. I, I loved that part as well. Just uh, for, for a similar reason, it's sort of like, it was maybe the same reason that I loved the, the chase scene on Mm -hmm. Castravel. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was just it it made it a very sort of cinematic sort of a high pace or you know fast action sort of you know roll this you fail roll this ah uh, you made it go 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 you know there was mm-hmm. very little like waiting stopping let's strategize for ten minutes you know it was that, very high that, energy that entire episode may be the best episode that we as a crew have ever done uh, it it was it was fun for sure. It was fun. It was funny. There were a number of jokes that got called back, even from the intro all the way to the end. Adras's lower back <laughs> hurting because because <laughs> that's also the episode where we couldn't open doors. Let's mm-hmm. let's remember that. <laughs> yeah, the, the CR ten doors and the uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was the CR of those uh, of those doors? Uh, is in? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Thousands of XP every door Just, you open. Yes, <laughs> we should open the other one. Oh man, you guys would be level ten by now. All right. you don't all <laughs> if you if you enjoyed the collapsing building, there's a um, I think there's a part in num- in the sixth book you guys are. Mm-hmm. Really oh boy, enjoy. I bet there will be spoilers. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm saying it's mm-hmm. an exciting part. I I know about this from from chatting with the developers, but something that could have been here on Estimac was. Uh, oh yes, is now in book six, which I'm very excited about. But there's there's a lot of uh, great bits in this book. I, I really can't pick my favorite. I uh, I enjoyed your guys's reactions to a lot of things on the island. Um, the the House of Renewal fight against the mm-hmm. uh, rebuilt was a lot of fun mm-hmm. because uh, well, whenever I um, 
first show you the the artwork for monsters and your reaction is oh what is that it's always yeah. always pleasant because i've been looking at you know these monsters for like months and they're just like oh yeah there's a, a horribly deformed kish uh monster so i i, I guess some of the the uh, reaction uh helps me get excited it's like yeah these can kill you can't they yeah kudos to the to the artists for Paizo, by the way, I mean, yeah, we've got I, a lot I think of we it. talk about the writers a lot, but the artists are amazing too. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's sometimes hard to find, but I I, I found uh, at least the artist of one of the rebuilt on Twitter, and was like, that's some of my favorite art in the book. <laughs> um, uh, I would say one of my favorite parts was uh, uh that disruption rifle. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that is one that's actually right in book five in some of oh. the the back matter, but is hmm. is part of the the tech. The um, in book four, there is a lot of really cool, both ancient and like modern Kish uh, devices and and magical items. I think at this point, you guys have seen almost all of them. I try. I just kept dropping them in in loopholes because they're they're so much fun. Yeah. Did you get them the corpse lantern? I that one. No. That one's a no, but I think it might come yeah, up in the future. The but the what? <laughs> the corpse lantern. The corpse lantern. The corpse lantern. You know, Drew. The corpse I, lantern. I, I want I, that. I want one of those. <laughs> um. Well, if you die in combat, maybe you'll get one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn you into one. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was a that was a fun one as well. Looking through the 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 back matter in this book, which you guys after we're done with the campaign, definitely take a look at it because that's you know a lot of tools and things like I said for GMs. But as you move forward, there's some some fun weapons, armor, magical items, technological items, all kinds of great stuff in in all the APs. Oh yeah, that's what we, we that's what we've been trying to do is have lots of stuff for players so that mm-hmm. and, you know we sell more stuff. But uh, it does become difficult for Someone who wants to buy this book and, but doesn't want to spoil themselves on the adventure, they've really got to be careful about what they look at. Yeah. <laughs> you got to use like a periscope with like the, the glasses that you use to look at the eclipse. Yes. <laughs> uh, Just well, far away. Speaking of technological items and weapons and things like that, um, maybe we should talk. Uh, a little bit about what has just come out or is just about to come out the the armory the next the um, rule book mm-hmm. how excited are you to to see what players make uh of the armory and, and what kind of characters uh, they start making up yeah uh i'm excited because there's just loads more guns in it um mm-hmm. that i can put in adventures and give to bad guys <laughs> and have them shoot you with them uh but there's also there's just tons of oh my god so much stuff it, Mm-hmm. I can't even. Uh, my mind is reeling thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I tried to parse through all the the streams and the chats where little bits and bobs uh, of the art was um, mm-hmm. was was let out, and yeah, there's there's a lot in the book. It, it feels so much book. So much. yeah. So um, so say you're a, you're an Ahsoki envoy. You have sure <laughs> you have small arms uh, mm-hmm. as your primary weapon, and and you're doing like two d four max damage <laughs> hypothetical hypothetically Hypothetic. hypothetically um is there maybe a, a solution for for our uh small furry friends to uh to do some 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 max damage your small arms are always going to do 
less damage than anything else than any other gun because they are meant to be not meant to be, but they 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 function with the operative trick attack feature. So we can't boost the damage of a small arm by too much. Um, but there are lots of fun new small arms in there. You can, you can you can get that that disintegrator pistol you got. You can get a, some more higher level versions of it um, that end up doing. Uh, I don't remember. I know the first one does like one d twenty. I think it goes goes up to two d twenty and then four d twenty like that. Four d twenty. Good lord. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. They're crazy. They're really variable. Um, uh, but then you know any kind of cryo, laser, flame, etc., plasma. Anything you can think of there, we've got more of them in every mm-hmm. category. I, and I don't crystals? Know you, solarian crystals? More solarian. Mm-hmm. solarian weapon crystals, indeed. Yeah, I heard there's Some a couple ones. pretty cool solarian options as well in the mm-hmm. book. Um, not not just of, items, right? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's there are new class features, that class features, but like new choices for every mm-hmm. class. Ooh, it's exciting. Um, so. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Feel a couple pretty- of us here on the uh, the podcast play Destiny, and then and that's what's coming down the pipeline in the the next next expansion. It's like just a couple more options for your characters, and we're salivating at the, <laughs> the edges of our mouths mm-hmm. for it. And yeah, I, I imagine for players, they they just got to be stoked <laughs> for yeah. for more options. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my book was the Pact Worlds book because I was very excited as the storyteller to to get more information and dig into these these worlds and mm. and also get some more player options as well but uh that one so well received a uh, mm-hmm. couple of any award nominations very excited very about excited. those yeah. coming in a few weeks we'll definitely be <laughs> reporting on them um but uh yeah it seems like armory is going to be the exact same people very excited about uh Everything they're going to get to, mm-hmm. to parse through very shortly. Yeah, I love all the little tiny, the little tiny items and tools that uh, you can purchase. Uh, like from Pack Worlds, I bought the the mag boots, which then came into play mm-hmm. during the uh, Aeon Guard fight. Mm-hmm. Right, you uh, ran out. We were actually the ship. Yeah, and then I uh, something that hasn't uh, come up yet, but I also bought you know oxygen candles and uh, other just like little kind of you know utility utility type things like that and they're mm-hmm. so fun to have as options that are you know are just like 100 credits or you know maybe maybe 300 credits at most and uh, that you can just kind of pack up and uh, throw in that null chamber for you know maybe a unique situation so i'm really excited that we're going to get you know more of that and also more of the stuff that everybody likes to swing around <laughs> i keep sure. de- i keep debating a sword cane for knack that's, <laughs> that came out of, yeah. is that packed worlds or alien archive i can't remember no, it's packed packed worlds. Worlds. Packed worlds. It, there, there's a there's a um a, a combination of things you can get in the pack worlds that was totally unintentional to turn yourself into a stage magician like the, <laughs> <laughs> there's oh. a, a victorian stage magician specifically there's like a there's the sword cane the um yep. the minor stage magic feats and then like there's a cape yep <laughs> they don't give them season two ideas <laughs> the, the well, honestly, i know what my new character is gonna be honestly uh, you know we're we're talking about season two characters and there is a a feat in, in the packed worlds book that i have already pretty certain i'm gonna get for my uh season two character but you uh, dog-eared that page drew oh i did i i bookmarked that on the pdf um <laughs> but uh the stage magic feats are pretty amazing and that cape is really cool but i couldn't afford it yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> no eventually um but in 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 armory you can look forward to getting yourself a musical instrument or a strategy game mm. to play on the ship in between on long drift travels 
Maybe an, <laughs> no, that's great. Maybe a Galarian finder. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's all gonna come. There's, well, there's I'm done, everybody. Goodbye. A, a Galarian finder rulebook. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> there's a thing that I've always wanted to. I want to do um, is uh, it, it's completely joke, and I doubt I'll ever get to do it. But just to have a, a, a amusement park called Galarian World uh, <laughs> in Starfinder, where it's just wrong. Like slightly wrong, and and, oh, big, yeah. and essentially, and like just big mascot versions of all the actual Pathfinder um, iconics are there. been reading my gestures. notebook? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you just steal my idea for the next Halloween episode? Oh, no, <laughs> <did I? laughs> well, if he didn't, we are because he, you didn't say TM after it, Jason. Right. Oh, we'll, TM, we'll, we'll oh. we're going we'll for it. We'll see how Ooh can write faster. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have anywhere to put it, so I don't have any reason to write it yet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, we, we should probably wrap up here. Oh, that's that's the dog alarm. That's we, the dog. <laughs> dog we should uh, probably wrap up here before we go too too long. So I have one final question that I would like to ask. This not only is about uh, Jason; it's about the 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 wider wider swarm, wider swarm, wider wider swarm, uh, but also just about Starfinder in general. And that's why why is every fortitude save about getting me pregnant? <laughs> what is the what is the obsession on the show? What is the obsession on the show with with getting a dross pregnant via fortitude saves? It's it's been driving me crazy for four books. Uh, can I can I hazard a guess? Is that uh, this is sort of like the first round of uh, uh, monsters, and every single person was like, oh, "I'm making a face hugger." <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit, loud. yeah. It just it's just unfortunate, unfortunate. Coincidence. Just coincidence. Uh, and also really fun. Monsters you fight. I, uh, I love it. I love it because it, I actually, it makes it seem like you guys all sat down and just went, we are going to make every bad creature burst out of every PC that <laughs> plays this game. Uh, I love it. It's fun. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it's it's something that I think happened in Pathfinder a bunch too. Every time you, if you die because of this, you turn into one of them, and it's not as <laughs> as, as as pregnancy as the akadas and the rider swarms and everything else has been. But you know, ghouls. If you die from ghoul fever, you mm-hmm. rise as a ghoul. Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta you gotta make more of them somehow. Yeah, exactly. How do you get? Uh, explain a ship full of ghouls. Like, well, yeah. you start with one ghoul, and then it, <laughs> it murders everyone on board. And well, mama ghoul and daddy ghoul. Yeah, I was about to say the, the, the ghoul stuff. stork comes along, <laughs> and delivers the oh, oh boy ghoul baby. Um, uh, let, let let's wrap it up there. Um, I want to thank everyone for for sticking around after the the game itself for talking with us players listening uh, our listeners out there and jason thanks for stopping by after writing up a, a fresh new set of books <laughs> for episo imagine that's what you do all day yeah uh, every right day is a, a whole, new, a whole new book every day is a whole batch of books right <laughs> yeah, I, at the I end of the two <laughs> three two or three books a day at least you've got a <laughs> lever you just plunk it down it's like print go to the printer <laughs> don't tell the project manager that we work that fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, that's, Jason. That's going to do it for us. Uh, we will have more discussions in the future um, as as we dive into the rest of Dead Sons. But uh, 
until then, thanks, thanks everyone once again for listening, and we'll we'll see you in book five. Good night. Mm-hmm.